Welcome to Cyberbytes, the podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Foley, Senior Recruitment Consultant at Aspiron Search. Today, I'm joined by Amjed Abukahadji, Head of Sales at Socket. Amjed shares his journey from an IC to sales leadership, vision with Socket, and winning sales strategies. Enjoy. Amjed, absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. How's things? Likewise, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, things are good. It's uh, first thing in the morning here in California. So uh, love getting the day started like this. Can't complain. Good stuff. So what's that, 7 a.m. for you, early start? Yeah, just a few minutes past seven. Yep. Good stuff. Well, yeah, um, it is great to have you on the podcast. And the way I like to to kick off these pods is understanding how you got to where you are. Um, so are you able to just start by giving our listeners uh, a brief around your background and where you're up to at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and before I get started, uh, since I know this is being uh, recorded on video, um, there's a map behind me. And I just want to make it clear that I do know that Africa is supposed to touch Asia. Uh, <laughs> but uh, every time I close my office door, it shakes and one of the continents falls off the wall. So I've had to re-glue it on probably about 10 times. And the last time I kind of just got sick of trying to connect everything. So I just put it back in in a hurry. So just before you get any comments that, hey, this guy doesn't know his geography, <laughs> I just want to make it clear that I am aware uh, that the two continents should be touching. So um, with that, you know, like you mentioned, my name is Amjad. Uh, my last name is Abuka DJ. Uh, currently, I'm the head of sales at Socket. Uh, our website is socket.dev if anybody is interested in checking us out. Uh, we are in the cybersecurity space. Uh, essentially, what we do is uh, we look for malicious dependencies that developers uh, could potentially be introducing to their company uh, through the open source packages uh, that they're finding and using. So uh, we'll do a quick scan and we'll, you know, in a, a, a very nice way, tell the developer, hey, it looks like there's some potential risks within this package you're using. Uh, you might either want to double check your work or in some cases we say, you know, do not proceed. <laughs> this is malicious. Uh, you do not want to use this package. So that's what we that's what we do as a company. Um, we've been around for about a couple of years now and we're starting to see some pretty good growth in the past, uh, I would say, six or so months. Um, so, yeah, it's just a very exciting time. Right. And the background of yourself, I think listeners would be keen to know this. So you started out as an IC right in sales and then have transitioned to, to head of sales at Socket. Can you right. talk us through the early stages of your background and, and how you got into sales in the first place? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so you're absolutely correct. I was an IC for uh, quite a quite a long time. And then um, just recently, when I joined Socket, uh, kind of moved into sales leadership. Um, but let, to, to kind of rewind even, you know, before I was an IC, I can give you kind of an idea of how I stumbled into, uh, you know, software sales in the first place, because <laughs> it definitely was not a, a, a straight line path. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll kind of go back to university. Uh, I studied at uh, UCLA, University of California, Los Angeles. Um, and I was actually a, a two-sport uh, athlete at, at the school as well. So I competed in both cross-country and track and field for the university. So I was kind of like a middle distance to long distance runner. Uh, my specialty was the 1500 meter if there's any runners out there. So it, it's more or less a mile uh, distance and uh, all the way up to like the five kilometer. So, um, you know, I was I took uh, running very seriously. Um, you know, at that time it was 
essentially my whole life. You know, it was every morning, 6 a.m. practices. Uh, the whole day would kind of revolve around it. When do I eat? When do I take naps? You know, my class schedule kind of fit in between that. Um, and it was awesome. I loved it. Uh, when I got to like my junior year in, in college, I started to think a little bit more seriously about, you know, what am I going to do after college for like an actual career? Um, obviously I had the same aspirations that a lot of, you know, division one athletes have, which is, you know, I want to be a professional runner. I want to be in the Olympics. You know, I want to get sponsored by Nike and, and, and the likes. Um, but the reality is in long distance running, it's, uh, number one, extremely difficult as is being a professional athlete in any sport. But number two, even if you do make it to those ranks, uh, you don't make a lot of money. Um, and it's a sad truth, but it, it really is. Uh, I mean, you can see some of the most incredible athletes, you know, hardly scraping by and, uh, and I didn't have a lot of interest in doing that. Um, you know, I was passionate about it, but not in that way. And so, um, I started to think, okay, what am I going to do for my career? And then I, I, you know, it kind of occurred to me that like, I wasn't a huge fan of school. You know, I was, I was a decent student, but there was no like path that was very straightforward to me. I, I didn't want to be an engineer. You know, I didn't want to go and continue on and do additional education. I didn't want to go to grad school and the likes. And so I started to think like, okay, what am I good at? And what I, what I always kind of got brought back to was like, whenever there was a class presentation, um, an area where I, 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 you know, tended to thrive was on the presenting portion, uh, and not so much thrive, but something I just enjoyed was I, I enjoyed the, you know, actually presenting the project to the class. Um, so like the way it would work is, you know, we'd get an assignment from the professor. It would be, you know, Hey, summarize this book or whatever the project was. And then, you know, you'd get broken up into a small group. Well, there were so many folks that they wanted to do all of the work except for the presentation. They had no problem building the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the poster board, uh, you know, doing the research, writing the essay, but they said, oh my God, I don't want to present to the class. And for me, it could not have been more opposite. Like, I am like, okay, go ahead. You know, you can do the project. <laughs> Tell me, give me the summary, you know, give me the cliff notes and then I'll go and present it. Uh, and what I found is that, you know, I, I got a little bit of, of nerves, like everybody does when you present, but I really enjoyed it. And so I thought that maybe a career in sales would make the most sense for me. So when I graduated, the way it worked was uh, I actually moved up to the Bay Area. That's like the San Francisco kind of Bay, Palo Alto, Silicon Valley uh, with my best friend at the time. I had no job offers. You know, I had I didn't go to any career fairs or anything like that. I had a couple thousand bucks to my name. And my friend and I, we found uh, shelter in uh, this guy's shed in the back of his house in Palo Alto. So he actually rented us his shed for $600, that's USD per month uh, each. So he was making $1,200 a month <laughs> on this shed that was, I'm not kidding you, it was 185 square feet. So it was, it was tiny. Uh, and um, yeah, and so basically, you know, there was no bathroom, no shower, you know, uh, no bathroom, no kitchen, nothing like that. And so what my buddy and I did is we woke up every morning, we would go to the gym across the street, we had a membership, you know, we would shower, do a quick workout. And then the rest of the day, we'd be at, you know, a cafe or Starbucks or something like that. And we would just start applying for jobs. Um, after several months of doing that, and kind of just like, figuring out how to network, I was able to get my first job at Oracle, where I came in as a very entry level, kind of uh, a sales rep. So that was kind of like the, the summarized version. There's a lot of funny stories in there. We can talk about them another time. But uh, yeah, that's kind of how I got started. Nice. And I just want to add one thing there. So 
it's right. And my correct in saying that you've run a four a four minute mile. Just got to add that in. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. So four oh seven. Um, I for non runners, you can probably round down to four minutes <laughs> to make it sound more impressive. But uh, for for real runners out there, they'll know that that difference in seven seconds is pretty substantial. But yeah, I ran four four oh seven in the mile. Cool. Yes, it's a super interesting background that you have, and what I'm keen to dive into is is how you've taken that IC level role, very entry role, and and slowly progressed to to where you are now ahead of um, sales at Socket. Could you share maybe to start with a success story, some of the success stories you've had um, as an IC at previous organizations? Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, I think like for me, when I got that first role at Oracle, um, it was, it became very apparent to me, even within the first three to four months of starting the job that I wanted to make a career uh, in software sales. Uh, I really loved it. I, you know, I saw the potential, I kind of saw the upward mobility. Um, And it's very, it's a very unique field to be in because, you know, it's like I said, you know, it's not something that you necessarily go to college and study for. A lot of it is effort-based, you know, the, the, the time you put in to, you know, kind of perfect your craft very similar to long distance running actually, where it's delayed gratification. You know, you work and work and work and maybe six months to 12 months later, you close, you know, one of these large deals and you make your number. So I really like that aspect of it. So that was kind of the first thing I had going in my corner was that I actually enjoyed what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I took some pretty strategic moves in the first, I would say half decade to maybe three quarters of a decade. Um, in my career that kind of led me to moving into this leadership position. So um, I think one thing you see a lot of times often is uh, people get comfortable. They'll go and get a job at a big company. You know, it's got benefits. It's got some nice perks to it. It, Maybe it's easy. uh, You're used to the process and they kind of just camp out there. And, um, and I, I actually strive to do the exact opposite. So I wanted to put myself in as many uncomfortable situations as possible, try to learn and sell different products um, because that's really when you figure out what kind of a seller you are. And so um, I started to move to smaller and smaller companies. I kind of started at Oracle, which is essentially as big as you can get. Mm-hmm. And then I went to like a thousand person company. And then I went to maybe a hundred person company. And then I actually got to the point where I joined a company that I think I was like the 11th or 12th person that that joined the company where I was the first sales hire. So um, each time I made a jump, I, you know, I had to, sell myself in the interview process and say, you know, here's what I'm going to accomplish in my first hundred days. And then when I got the job, I had to back it up. And so I was, you know, forced in this uncomfortable situation where I'm, you know, continuously, you know, trying to uh, live up to, you know, the, the expectations that, 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 that the, my leadership had for me. And so um, I learned how to ramp up very quickly. You know, I learned how to uh, kind of, you know, take the sales process and apply it to different products. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I think it all kind of came to fruition when I was in my last role at Google Cloud, where I was in a perfect situation. The timing was right. I got to sell to the largest customers at Google. Um, I was about a decade into my sales career, so I had a lot of experience in running deal cycles. Mm. Um, and I was able to, you know, um, make President's Club two years back to back, and also, uh, from my knowledge, uh, I, according to my my VP. Uh, Closed the most logos closed in a single year in Google Cloud. So uh, for my division, so I was in a you know again a, a kind of a 
it was a, between corporate and enterprise division. And um, I had actually closed almost a, on average a deal a month. So I closed 11 logos in 12 months, which at the time I think was kind of a big deal. So yeah. um, yep, that's, that's pretty much uh, kind of the, 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 the kind of the trajectory of me as an IC. And you touched on one point there around how having that semi-pro running background and that late gratification, right? You don't see it instantly. And I think a lot of people go into sales and they're three months in, they're like, I'm not getting any results. I'm not making any money. And, and they kind of maybe ditch it. That sounds like it was a one of your keys or one of your attributes that made you successful. What other attributes would you say have been instrumental to you being successful and getting yourself into a leadership position? Yeah, that's that's completely correct. Uh, there's a quote I love from one of my favorite books. Uh, and the quote goes, you know, the the person that does more than he's paid for will soon be paid for more than he does. And it's, you can't summarize sales in a better, better way than that. In my opinion, um, you know, those first couple of years, I spent countless hours, like getting mentorship and shadowing calls of the top sellers. Um, and I, what I focused on more so than my W2 was, am I getting better at my skills? Like, are my skills getting better? You know, am I getting more comfortable in these meetings? Am I getting better at objection handling? And so I really focused on on developing my skills so mm-hmm. that I knew how to run an evaluation. I mean, so many times, you know, people think it's the flashy cold call and, you know, it's it's all about timing and it's luck and it's not at all, right? I've closed some deals where, you know, I had four or five no's before they agreed to do a POC, you know, or a, a proof of concept, proof of value, whatever you want to call it. And then it ended up becoming one of my largest deals that I had closed. And so, um, you know, there's a little bit of grit, there's a little bit of patience kind of involved in this. Um, that took time to learn. Um, the other thing I would say, you know, if if I were to give, uh, advice, um, for something that kind of made a big differentiation, you know, in terms of like ability to sell and close Mm. is really focusing on like correlating the value of your product to the cost that you're charging and being able to quantify that. Like you, I can't say enough about the skill that it takes to actually quantify the work that you did in an evaluation and make it easy for your champions to go and sell this internally, yeah. um, especially in the economy that we have today where, you know, companies are scrutinizing every dollar that's being spent. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I'd, I'd be happy to elaborate on that, but I would say that's probably one of the biggest things I've seen, you know, that the best sellers do. Yeah. I was going to say, are you able to give maybe a, a scenario, an example of that last point there? Because I feel like that's super powerful. Um, value is so hard to demonstrate and, and get to your customers and people i don't think especially in sales they that's maybe a, a point they struggle to do is demonstrate that so is there maybe a scenario example that you can share that um people could replicate use um yeah yeah totally i hate buzzwords but uh yeah. you know you hear it in sales all the time time kills all deals um but i've seen firsthand that that is very true mm. um and you know, what I think that means really is the time that you, you know, keep the evaluation going. Um, Usually when people start an evaluation, they have kind of high hopes for this problem you're going to solve for them. Mm -hmm. And the longer it goes on, you kind of lose some of that momentum, you lose some of that excitement. And so implementing strategies to shorten that deal cycle down to as quick as you can, usually leads to better results. Um, And so, 
like everything I do in my POC process is revolved around that. So I can give you a few examples. So say I, you know, had an intro conversation with a customer, you know, I do my demo, I get them kind of initially excited and, you know, I do, I'll kind of fast forward. I've done all the discovery. I've gotten to the point where, you know, they want to do a proof of concept or a proof of value. Great. Oftentimes what happens is you schedule that proof of value conversation, you get on the meeting and then you try to actually go and get your application installed and get the process started. And you find out that the person you're working with doesn't have the permissions to install the app or they have to go seek additional approval. And so something I you know, developed was like a checklist, a POC checklist. So it sounds very straightforward, but hey, here's everything we need on that, you know, to get started with the POC. So, hey, we need someone with, you know, GitHub permissions that can actually install an application. You know, here's here's the different folks that we need involved. So you can share that with them to make sure that they have all the right folks on the call. That's mm-hmm. step one. Now you're on the POC. You can't just say, okay, great, let's install the app and then let us know what you think. You need to be very clear about here are the goals you told us. You said these are the three, four things you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So I went took the liberty to turn those goals into a checklist of items that you can evaluate during this next two, three weeks that are going to check off all of these goals that you had. And so we create a checklist for them and it's very simple. It's like a drop down, you know, is this complete? Is this incomplete? Is this out of scope? Are you blocked? And that way, when we meet with them, you know, for check-in calls two or three times during the POC, we can go through that checklist together. Hey, it sounds like this past week, you, you, you know, you checked off all these things. That's wonderful. Um, so you can kind of, you know, keep the process going. Mm. And then at the end of the, and that kind of serves two purposes. Number one, it, like I said, it kind of aligns it directly to their goals, but number two, it actually helps your champion go and sell this internally better because they're not just going to their boss or to procurement saying, Hey, I need a $50,000 budget for this product because I think this product is cool. It's, Hey, all of those things, this product is cool. And I need this budget, but also look at all the work I did to evaluate it. Like, you know, this, this is working. I've tested it. It's going to work in our environment. And then the last thing I've kind of done um, that has made a big dent in terms of conversion rate is I provide them with a summary document. So after the POC is done, let's summarize, you know, in a nice document, everything that we accomplished. So let's start with the business need. Let's remind them, Hey, here's the business need. You know, here is the scope of the POC that we evaluated. Here's the scope of the project put screenshots in. Here's where you went through and you showed that Socket you know, detected this issue. You don't have any other tool that's detecting this issue. Let's quantify that. How much could this issue be worth? Well, look at how many you know, repositories it's installed on. You know, look at the time it would have take, you know, taken you to remediate this issue. Quantifying that all into a nice summary document so that the, your champion, when they go up to their meeting to present to their leadership, they have you know, this, this project and you, know, you, you allow them to make it their own. So it looks like they presented it themselves um, and, you know, they can customize it and do all that kind of stuff. And so what you're doing is you're just kind of leaving ambiguity out of it. You're keeping it very aligned. Um, and you can, you know, it's, it's a very like straightforward process that you can continually tweak. So I would say those are probably a couple of things that I've done that have made a huge difference. I don't know if that's helpful. No, I think that's super helpful and very powerful. Uh, as you say, they, they kind of sound simple, but they're so effective as you say um yeah. and yeah they, they champion their own reasoning then and they're, they're presenting that back to leadership as their own champion um yeah makes sense right. cool and moving on to to socket uh the audience probably keen to, to hear about socket and the achievements that you've guys have had so i'm correct in saying series a right at the moment um was it around 20 million uh in exactly. 20 million. 
Cool. Um, you did cover it at the start, but I'm keen to to dive a little bit deeper into to what Socket does um, and the, the core product that it serves and how it serves your customers. Mm-hmm. Sure. So um, we have, uh, like I mentioned, we're in the cybersecurity space. Essentially, what we're doing is we're looking at all of the open source dependencies that developers are using uh, and we're protecting uh, them from using a malicious dependency or a dependency that has, you know, something risky inside it that you would not want to be running in production uh, for your company. Um, and so if we just kind of back up and like look at the overall kind of landscape of the software, you know, development lifecycle and like why this is such a big problem, you know, something that's very interesting is if you look at the average application today, you'll find that 80 to 90% of the code, lines of code inside the application are actually made up of open source. And so it's an amazing thing. I don't want to, you know, give off the vibe that, you know, we think open source is, you know, bad or anything like that. It's incredible. Actually, our entire team is made up of open source developers. So we really believe firsthand the kind of the power uh, of open source. And we see that, right? I mean, that's how people are able to build features faster. You know, they don't have to write everything from scratch. Um, and so uh, that's kind of the landscape. But what's interesting is that, you know, maybe of the code that's actually proprietary, written by your own developers in-house, it might only be 10 or 20%, but there is an incredible review process that takes place to ensure that that code is safe. And mm-hmm. so what does that mean? That means if a developer wants to write something in-house, it has to go to a manager approval. Maybe somebody in application security has to look at it. There's all this, you know, process and and kind of guardrails in place to make sure that the developer doesn't do something that's bad. Um, but it's kind of ironic because we're focusing so much on making sure our own employees aren't doing something poorly. But then when we go and grab an open source package that can be written by a random person out in the world that we have no idea of who they are. The the strategy has always been, oh, that's fine. Let's just grab one and hope for the best. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of backwards. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to make it safer for people to use open source. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're very cognizant of making sure that it fits into the developer's workflow so that it doesn't slow them down from their job. Because traditionally, engineering and security, you know, engineers are typically allergic to security tools. I mean, they just want to, you know, build features and ship features fast and anything that kind of slows down their process is usually perceived as, as a negative in the mind of a developer. Uh, not always, but, you know, often. And so we we wanted to prov- make a tool that fit perfectly into their workflow and only alerted them if something very critical was detected. So that's a big differentiator because most tools are very noisy. And they'll tell you, hey, there's these 20 things that you got to look at. And when you actually go and look at them, you know, maybe 95% of them aren't actual true security risks or they're not even applicable in your own internal code base. And so we've done a really good job of kind of reducing the noise of the alerts we send um, to just the most critical ones. Right. No, I love it. And you mentioned you're the first sales guy, right? At Socket? Correct. Yep. So... Talk to me about how you're scaling or looking to scale the team and potentially some of the challenges that you've run into as a result of that. Um, Because are you, I presume you have a sales function, right? Now at Socket? Right. Cool. Yeah. Talk us through that. Yeah. So we, uh, when I joined, uh, you know, we had no, no customers, no revenue, (laughs) no logos, nothing. Um, But we had a really good product, really good idea. uh, And we did kind of release our product. It's 
like a PLG model. So, you know, it was very, it was free to install. Um, and we, we did have quite a lot of adoption in terms of folks that, you know, saw the value. And so um, I think we had something in the effect of like 1500 installations from different organizations in the first 30 days. So it was pretty substantial. Um, and then what we wanted to focus on was like, okay, the first step is we need to find design partners. We need to find folks that want to be on this journey with us, help mm -hmm. us construct our product, make sure it's meeting their needs. And until you really go get under the hood with customers and understand like the challenges they're having, yeah. you know, you could take your roadmap in a hundred different ways. And so we wanted to make sure that, you know, our roadmap was making the biggest bang on, you know, the market as we could. And so that was step one. Once we did that, great. We checked it off. The next step was, okay, let's go and get, you know, our early adopters, right? Let's go get folks that now, you know, we've built a really good product uh, around these design partners and let's, let's go and try to get them, you know, uh, to use the product and get value out of it. Can we get someone to pay for this was really what we were trying to test. Hmm. Um, and uh, we had quite a bit of success doing that. Um, uh, and, and I, I think really some of the reasons for that are, like I mentioned, again, we're doing something that's different uh, in terms of our analysis. We're not just telling you about mild issues. We're really going deep into our analysis and preventing supply chain attacks from happening because we're able to block malicious dependencies from getting into your code base. Um, we're also a very easy installation process. So it's a three-click installation to get started with Socket, um, which is rare for a security tool. I think most people are kind of accustomed to these long two, three, six-month implementations in some ways. And so, um, you know, for a security tool to get this type of adoption in a short amount of time, uh, you know, is is something we're very excited about. Um, and so to your point, we went and we raised a series A round of funding. Yeah. Um, we're being very careful about how we hire people. Um, we don't, you know, want to become, a, a, you know, a company that you turn every corner and you see a billboard or, you know, you see marketing fluff and then that's not what we want to do. In fact, um, if you haven't heard of Socket, it's not surprising to me because we, uh, you know, we're very, um, you know, like I said, we're very like, I don't want to say anti-marketing, but we don't do the traditional marketing. You know, our founder was a prol prolific open source maintainer. So he does podcasts. Uh, you know, we, we generate leads that way. Um, and, and truly, I think we're growing by mostly word of mouth because people are finding, you know, the value that we're providing. Um, and so in terms of growing the sales team, um, you know, uh, we have a couple, we have a, our team right now is about four people. Nice. Um, I think we'll probably double that going into 2024, you know, give or take. Um, but really it just depends on, you know, what, what we see in the market and, and how necessary it is. Yeah. I love it. Cool. And I, I think to, to wrap up, I guess one last question for my side is to, to, to people that listen to this, maybe sales ICs, um, that they're looking to take that step up um into leadership or maybe that's on their their progression plan over the next few years what what piece of advice if you look back um you're talking to yourself 10 years ago what pieces of advice would you give um to those sales ICs looking to potentially pursue a, a career in sales leadership yeah it's a great question I actually think about that all the time <laughs> I think about how could I you know how, how could I be better at what I do and and all that um you know, I would I would kind of go back to something I talked about a little bit earlier, which is really focus on the steps that it takes to win an enterprise deal. I mean, if your if your ambitions are to you know grow into sales leadership, you know, be an early sales hire at a startup company, you know, work up market and close you know these large enterprise deals, 
it's a completely different type of sale than, you know, a transactional, uh, small, small business deal. And so um, there are a lot of, you know, steps that, that you take that are different in that process. And so like really focusing on getting good at those processes and, um, you know, how to run an evaluation, like, uh, you know, I think is, is very, is very key, um, you know, to the success of a rep and then you, know, you have to get enough cycles at it. So something I'm proud of that I did in my career is I didn't jump at the first opportunity to move into management when I was at a company. I mean, I probably could have stayed at one of these startups and, you know, been a manager maybe three, four five years ago. Um, but I didn't feel like I was as good of an IC as I could have been. And so I really wanted to focus on, you know, being the best seller possible first. Uh, before I moved into management, because now I can actually train people and, you know, I can actually help throughout the process. I'm not necessarily, you know, figuring things out with, with people, you know, with different reps at, uh, you know, on the job, I'm actually able to come with, you know, uh, stories and examples of how things have worked in the past. Sure. Um, so I would say that, and then at the last piece of the, la the last thing I would, I would mention, which, you know, probably can merit an entire 30 minute discussion on, but I'll just kind of leave you with this is, um, it all starts with your territory management plan. So when you start off your the year, you're given a territory, whether it's 100 accounts to go chase or it's a zip code or a specific you know, geographical location, how you manage that territory is very telling of how successful you'll be in the year. I mean, if you in that first 30 days, you should know exactly, okay, what are the deals that I need to focus my time on? Like who, you know, which, what, create a scoring system where where are our highest potential targets we can look at like you know similar customers we can look at do we support their programming languages yeah. you know are they in a geographical location we've had success with whatever the reasons are do we have a mutual investor mm -hmm. and create a scoring system there and then go deep go deep into those accounts yeah. you know don't stop at the first no um and you know that's that's something that i think is a makeup of a of a successful ic yeah yeah, great advice. Um, and yeah, a good point to finish on. And if any of our audience want to get in touch um, regards Socket or even potentially joining Socket, um, who should they contact? What's the best way of, of reaching you? Guys? Yeah, so you got two options. Uh, you can send your resume to work at socket.dev. Um, but if you're a seller and you're interested in uh, chatting about it, um, you can actually just reach out to me on LinkedIn directly. So uh, I'm pretty sure I'm the only Omjet at Book of DJ in the world. So uh, you could probably find me pretty easily by pasting my name into LinkedIn. So um, yeah, send me a message on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to chat. Um, and uh, that's pretty much my my main method of uh, social media, I guess, these days. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, Amjed, uh, again, pleasure to have you on the pod. Um, yeah, really interesting chat. Um, yeah, thanks again. Hope you've enjoyed it. Of course. Thanks so much, Stefan. I really appreciate the time. And um, yeah, hope, hopefully people find value in this. Perfect.